Okay, it's been way too long, but we're back. My name's Todd Bluebaugh, and you are listening to the Blue Toddcast. Got to start off by saying thank you, everyone, for the donations on the last episode. That was really encouraging. I do believe this thing can be self-funded, and you guys helped show me that. So I'm going to try it again. If you liked the last episode, if you liked this one, if you want to see it keep going, you can contribute through my PayPal at blue.todd at gmail.com. That's blue like the color, B-L-U-E dot T-O-D-D at gmail.com. And that goes to the next the next episode. And I, I, I'm not going to solicit sponsors. I'm not going to track down advertisements because I'm not good at that. Uh, but I am good at making these things. I'm getting better. And I think, you know, if we keep stacking up the evidence, something's going to happen. And we're doing that together. So thank you, everyone. I also have to say a quick thank you, and this is not by any means a paid endorsement, but I got to say thank you to Chris Warren over at Westco Boots and the team at Westco because they made me a pair of boots. They didn't have to, they just did. And I spent about a half a day measuring my feet in 12 different directions and then remeasuring and then sending that all over to Chris and he took that information and made a perfect pair of boots that fit me like I've been wearing them my entire life. I will say they are stiff when you get them, but it's been two weeks and I can't imagine wearing anything else. You guys are magical over there. Uh, it's a real art. It is. If you've ever tried to fabricate anything that doesn't doesn't have a doesn't have a ninety degree angle on the damn thing, I mean yeah, that's above and beyond anything I can fabricate. So, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate it. All right. <clears throat> Episode four. I'm very excited about, and I'm very happy the way this video turned out and the podcast turned out. I think it might be the longest interview I've had so far. It's up there. Um, I would have liked to have more time to ride around with Dan, but we hit it hard, and we spent couple days smashing around the desert full speed breaking our bikes breaking our bodies but having a blast it was freezing out there under the stars but it was worth it and i always enjoy crossing paths with with dan dan has a podcast called danger dance talk shop and i met him because he came to my shop in la in 2019 and interviewed me and when we were sitting there sharing a microphone, it occurred to me that these sound bites that he's getting are the piece of authenticity that the show concept I was writing at the time was missing. And so was born the Blue Toddcast, which is taking these authentic sound bites and putting them over real adventure. And so I owe that to Dan. We all kind of do. And it was a real treat to have him ride out here from Texas on his chopper and make this episode. So... So thank you, Dan. And if I had... I don't know that there is a way to explain this guy, honestly. You're just going to have to listen to the podcast. Because he is... He's a... Contradiction of characters. He's a card-carrying Native American. And he's also 100% Texan. So he's kind of like the Comanche. 
and the Texas Ranger without Chuck Norris. Well, no, he is kind of like Chuck Norris, too. (laughs) This guy's all over the place, man. All wrapped up in one dangerous, filthy animal. And I love it when our paths cross, and I can't wait for the next time. I can't say enough good things about him. I will say go listen to his podcast. Subscribe. Danger Dance Talk Shop. I'll put a link in the uh, on the website here so you can do that. But I don't want to talk anymore about it. I just want to let you listen. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Danger Dan. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That sounds better. Like that? Yeah. I'm going to try that for myself. Fast, 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 fast. Okay. Yeah, we're good. Okay. I'm glad you're here, Dan. I'm glad I'm here. Yeah. So, first question I have for you. After this trip, has it changed your perspective on California at all? After this trip, has it changed my perspective on California? Because everybody from California is moving to Texas. Yes. So, now that you're being flooded with Californians, do you look at California any differently? No. You like it? Yeah, I like it. I like visiting. Okay. The thing is, is considering what I do, it would be beneficial for me to spend more time out here. I've always thought so. I mean, I uh, I even toyed around with the idea after, really after you telling me that you had a place here, and then spending some time in Joshua Tree, I was like, oh, it's fucking nice out here. There's not near as many people. It's beautiful. I could just like pop into town. <clears throat> and then I was like, fuck that. We can, I can just bring the family and we can camp out here for a while and I can go into town a couple of times and then go back. You're going to know enough people here. It will never be hard to stay here when you want to come out. No. But I find it interesting that everybody who's impulsively exiting out of this state to go to yours, I don't feel like they're ever going to be able to come back. Because once you leave, it's so hard to buy back into what you had. Oh, to move back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 because they're, I mean, the couple that I have gotten to know, they're, 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 uh, they're stuck in Texas now. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I feel, I feel like I need to revisit Texas in the way that you visit California to appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Which we're going to do. This spring. This spring? I think so. If we don't go to Baja first. Yeah, we got. We're gonna have to nail something down because <clears throat> I'm I'm going south. I'm, yeah, I'm going way south, and that's not gonna are. be a a short endeavor. No, you'd be gone for a while. Is that your phone or mine? Fuck. <laughs> Can't take this guy anywhere. That's right. We'll do the same thing. Yeah. Um, that kind of brings me to my next question: How do you do it with a family? And a, and a wife like be gone for so long sacrifices must be made you know it's uh, and it's kind of what I've <clears throat> always done you know when I first met my wife <clears throat> I was traveling and playing music you know I was always leaving coming back and I feel like that's helped with our relationship in one degree where we're like it's a break 
the fire gets reignited when I show back up. Um, now with the kids, it's a little bit more difficult on her. Hmm. I still get to leave and come back. Um, missing some of the things that the kids may do or accomplish while I'm gone. <clears throat> it's tough. But, uh, you know, I also stoked to see them when I get back. Distance makes the heart grow fonder. It does. It really does. And I think what's beautiful about what I'm doing is it's not like a lot of other people who travel when they work where they're like not happy about working away from home. You love it. Where I'm at least like enjoying my time. You know, it's hard to like call the wife and be like, God, I'm having so much fun out here. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Uh, But she knows it, you know, she just doesn't want to like hear it when she's, you know, got two kids. She's dragging around to jujitsu and having to take them into the grocery store with her. Yeah. She, you know, she hates that. That won't last forever. No. Yeah, I think I started out the same way with my wife. We were doing long distance. That's how. And we were accustomed to that. So, for example, right now, she's working for two weeks on a movie. And we can go long periods of time without seeing each other, pursuing our own interests. And that was just a standard we were always used to. But if it had been the other way, where we had our relationship had been close and then I'm like, honey, I'm taking off all the time for two weeks. That wouldn't have worked. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I don't, I think, I think it would have been hard on me too. On some level. I think I would have, we've just always maintained that appreciation for distance and that's, that's worked for travel for both of us. I think you could have done it, you know, started out together and then taken off. Cause once again, it's like you grow fonder of that person. Yeah. It might make the travels tougher, you know. You might. Well, it makes leaving harder. Yeah. You know, coming back is always awesome. I mean, that's my favorite part of this trip. Yeah. Because I'm fixing to get to go home. What's your favorite part so far, though? Mm. We've had a good couple days. We have. I mean, leaving this, entering the city, like when I came over that mountain pass just freezing my dick off it's cold up here showing up to jeff's place and the whole nobody crew is just waiting in the driveway for me gave me a real warm welcoming pot of chili fridge full of Lacroix, smiles and hugs it was awesome and then um fixing my frame at the chun with the help of cody i don't think you can call it chun anymore oh you can't well i i still do but I can't. You can. You can, but I can't. Okay. You, you can. All right. Well, that sounds like California stuff to me. No, I want people to call it China. I only say that because I know Cody's trying to do something different with it. Okay. You Hawk know, Supply. Hawk Supply. Hawk Supply. Yeah. And he's working really hard at it. And it's nice to know that that's still a thing after all that work. Well, it's you, funny because I've referred to it in all my recordings as Hawk Supply. Yeah. But when I'm talking to you. People people will get used to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's too damn bad he got that place. We handed the keys over the week COVID dropped. Because that was a party stop before you could not have parties. <laughs> that was like a good place to be. Yeah. 
I feel like he hasn't got to experience the full arc of that setup. Oh, he's All, aware of that. Oh, is he okay? Yeah, he's sticking it out. He's you know he's just there. He's uh, bless his heart. Is that you? That's you. <laughs> oh shit! That's you. I threw my phone far away. Dude, I'm putting it on airplane. airplane. There you go. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, for the intrusion. Mm-hmm. You get as many robocalls as I do? Yeah. Yeah. If I was smarter, I would like block their number because it's the same number. Is it? Mine's always different. <clears throat> okay, same area code. Yeah. I don't quite look at all the digits. but Yeah. But no, leaving uh, the family, it's tough. But I feel like, you know, I want to set that example for my kids to go out and do stuff. Do stuff. Whatever it may be, whatever you want to do, go do it. Uh, yeah, that's really important, man. And I think we've talked about it some, but out of all the problems we have been unable to solve in our conversations, travel and displacing yourself could fix a lot of them. Just putting yourself somewhere else. It's that simple. And I know it's not easy for everyone to do, but people like you and I have made an effort to navigate our lives in a way that travel is, is very important. It is. And I look at you as kind of a you know an enlightened person because of that. Well, it started a long time ago. With music? You know, like before that. Mm. With church. Oh. Yeah, mission trips. Yes. You know, we talked about my experience with church and how I was like asking the wrong questions. When I found out those people were going to travel the world, I'm there to help. You You guys want to build a place to baptize people that don't care to get baptized? I'm going. I'll jump in the water. You and I did the same damn thing. And the girls at church? Oh, yeah. Come on. I used to have, I had a crew of very secular friends because that was, that was my people. Mm-hmm. I lived in the, you know, inside the gates of a religion and they knew it, but my hardcore secular friends would come to church with me for the girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're good there. Did you grow up in a small town? I did after, so up until sixth grade, I lived like in the city, in between Dallas and Fort Worth, Arlington. How big? A big one. Okay. <clears throat> like five, I mean, I don't know, it was concrete everywhere. Mm. I skated. Mm-hmm. And uh, got in trouble, fought a lot. And it was, an, it was pretty wild moving to the small town that I moved to because it was... I went from being the minority to not being the minority. Right. Amongst a bunch of people who had never experienced anything like I'd experienced. Not that I had like, I mean, it was just a a new perspective. And it was nice. uh, Except for not having any concrete, gravel driveway. I really thought my life was over. Like I thought that was. That's a big deal when you're a kid. The end of me. What am I going to do with my life now? I can't even skateboard in my own driveway. Right. (laughs) Dirt road. Yeah, it was like a gravel driveway to a blacktop. When it got hot, your wheels just stuck to it. But these are the places then, like a church in a community like that, 
is where the people gather. And they have a concrete parking lot. There's your skate park. That's right. Yeah. They don't like that. I know. I think that's how those things really thrive is just being the only sense of community in one place. And whether you're listening or not, you are being indoctrinated when you're there. Oh, yeah. And that's a good way. It's not a, it's not a bad thing. I'm not yeah, saying... I mean, they're not teaching people to do bad stuff. No. And I am a product of most of the things that I learned in church. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like, it's the way I live my life. Still. I mean, I look at it now as just a way to communicate. You know, like, the the morals and the values that I got there, I'm glad that I got. And it's a it's a... It's a weird way to communicate those things. And if you can see it as just that, as, you know, the story, the Bible, just being a book that you can learn some stuff from instead of like a historic representation of what actually happened. It's the absolutes that are wrapped up with that book that really trap people. Yeah. It's a beautiful book. It really blew my mind, <clears throat> still does, the people that believe without a doubt that some dude turned a stick into a snake. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> the burning bush. You ask the... why you can't do that now or nobody does that now, and they're just like, well, because. And Son that, of like, God. Like, there's yeah. no. Moses. <laughs> yeah, because he doesn't exist anymore. Right. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to talk about these things openly with the people who are completely consumed by them. And it's not it's not it's not that I'm trying to make converts or ever would. Like I really appreciate it, but I feel like at some point you get so deep into it that if you were to remove them from it, they'd fall apart. Well, they've based all their life's decisions on those facts exactly and you're like stripping away their identity their everything it's like then they have to reevaluate every decision they've ever made exactly and that's tough when you get old yeah yeah when you feel like you let life you know something determine your whole life's direction that might have been a mistake just don't do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I do that every day. You know? <laughs> I think everybody's looking at you thinking you're done. doing it right. I get that a lot. Yeah. You know, and I, uh, I question that. Uh, is it sustainable? Can I keep doing this? How do I keep doing this? And I've had those thoughts really from the beginning and tried to make the, like, use the thought of the future and what I want to do. Like that's how I make all my decisions, you know, instead of doing the things that might make me more money right now, I want things that give me more time and flexibility and still, you know, you gotta like, you gotta make money to keep this thing going. That's part of it, but that's definitely not as high on the priority list as it probably should be sometimes. Well, here's here's maybe it's kind of how I see it. There's a lot of people who invest their lives in a formula that they think works. And the truth is, I don't think it works as well for the majority of people in this country. So then you're doing, you're pulling these other things like debt 
and all these things that may feel like you're keeping up with that dream or that formula where you're really just getting more and more behind. We believe in these false margins or the acquisition of things and that's what makes a rich, valuable life. You got to pay your bills, right? Just don't let your bills get so fucking high that you can't pay them with what you're doing. And that should be the formula we live by. But most people can't do that. You know, they they want that toy hauler and they want everything inside of it and they want to spend their money on their weekends. And it's like, that's great and that may be fun for the weekend, but that's not going to be fulfilling. A toy hauler could be very fulfilling. <laughs> I think that was a bad example. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't know. I haven't afforded one yet. I mean... I got a toy hauler now. It's not like what most people think. Of you a toy have hauler. an enclosed trailer. I have a trailer that hauls toys. Don't church it up, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I just use that as. I mean, e- if you're going to go into debt, the toy hauler's a pretty good one. Yeah, but then you got to buy the toys. Oh yeah, you know. Well, you gotta, yeah, it's it's just I I see it happen. I it concerns me a little bit, especially in this time where. A lot of money has gone away that people were sustaining just, you know, their maxed out debt on. That's that's a scary thing. Well, I think that uh, this this pandemic that we're living through right now is opening up people's eyes to like where they're at, what they're doing. Why am I doing this? You know, when it comes to health. You know, like the possibility of dying from something you can't even see way sooner than you thought was possible. You start reevaluating. Just like what a lot of people do when they do get older and they're like, fuck, I've worked all my life. I've saved all this money. Now I'm fixing to die and I don't even, I haven't done the things that I want to do. Now people are like, fuck, we might die going to the grocery store. What are we going to do today? It's a dose of mortality that I think... I agree with you. I think it's important. It could be very healthy for a lot of people. And yeah. I've seen it. I've seen a lot of people go, wait a second. Why am I driving an hour to work in an hour home every day to a job that I don't really enjoy to pay some bills on some things that I don't even get to use as it, much? It as makes you ask all those questions. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good thing to get there. Yeah, that dose of mortality is a hell of a thing. I mean, that's why I'm here. I saw my parents get their ticket punched before they ever got to enjoy any of the shit they made their lifelong decisions based on. That was That's a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. So I got to agree with you there. Good. Yeah. Glad you agree with me. I can't wait for it to get back to normal. What's normal? How do we get there? I've, I don't. Maybe I don't even remember what normal was at this point. It's working. <laughs> it's working. Now we, they don't even have to take us back there. Oh, no, don't start with it that. It hasn't been that long. It hasn't even been a year. Well, this, the truth at is... At this it, point it, last year, I was sick with COVID. How was that? I mean, I assume it was COVID. Right. When I was in China, mm. came home, got really sick. Patient zero. I literally thought it was just from being at LAX. Never once did I think that the weird shit I ate in China would have gotten me sick. Right. Uh, you know, I got sick. I was the only one to fly into China. 
and I got sick the first couple of days. And I thought that was just like jet lag. It probably was, you know. You know, in China, if you have a layover longer than eight hours, they provide to you a hotel and a shuttle to and from. I think they do that here in some places, too. Really? I mean, they literally, this dude handed me an iPad with all these options of hotels to stay in. Yeah. I was like, just pick one. So I just picked the furthest one from the airport. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I want that one. And what were you doing over there? Uh, I went and rode Himalayas in the Himalayas. It was phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. What was the altitude? I think we got to 17,000 foot. How does a bike run? I bet your fuel efficiency is barely, amazing. Up barely. There. Barely. No. It was, there's no, no balls to it. it are, who, who's running that program over there? Bear Hutton of Old Bike Barn here in America. He's got a partner over there named Booty Singh. Booty Singh. What kind of bikes are you on when you do that? Himalayans. Himalayan bike. The Royal Enfield Himalayan. Oh, oh. It's a 500cc ADV bike. And considering what I did to that bike for 11 days in a row, and it was still in operation after I left, it's only, it's like less than $5,000 to buy that bike brand new. And it's got to be, it's worth every penny. That's impressive. And they, I'm not a spokesperson for Royal Enfield, but sure, they've been around for a long time now. Was impressed because we fucking. That was one thing I was really shocked with that tour was, right out of the gate, dude, we were fucking on it. The fastest vehicles on the streets in Kathmandu. I I ate shit within about less than three minutes. Is it sketchy, like traffic in in these places? I see the pictures of the bridges and like the narrow little crossings. Is it sketchy? <laughs> would you take your chopper on it? Yeah, I would. I would not ride it the same. But right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the roads are decent. Well, the, there's some roads there. The signs are all like, you know, th- there's no road signs. There's no, all the street lights are don't work. There's no lanes. There's no, they take advantage of every piece of space there is. It, but it moves like a river, you know, like everybody's aware of everybody. The horn doesn't mean get the fuck out of my way. The horn means, hey, I'm right here. Hmm. Just want to let you know I'm behind you. Okay. And... There's no, nobody has the right of way, really. It's just, if you're willing to just jump out there, people let you go. If you're hesitant, then you're not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, like you just really got to go where you want to go. The right of way. Mm-hmm. Huh. It's interesting how, how well it works. Because when you're just standing there looking at it, it doesn't, you know, where do you jump in? But you do. You just jump in and you go for it, and you don't get hit. Do you do you camp along the way? How long is the ride, and where do you stay? That kind of thing. So, before the trip, bear, what do we need? He's like, you know, it's on the website. Bring a sleeping bag. Bring some warm clothes. Do all this. Do that. So I'm thinking that we're going to be camping along the way, 
And maybe he tells you that because there's a possibility, you know, like, you know, like I know on any road trip, even when, if you're planning on staying hotels like that, you may not make it. Every place we stayed at was like five star. It oh, was God. so amazing. And I'm like, Bear, you undersold the piss out of this. And he's like, well, I don't, there's other tour companies. I don't want them to know where we're staying. We stayed in like, like on farms, like lodges on farms where they're growing all the food right there that they fed us. Wow. And then we'd stay in like, just, just like these villages would have hotels. And most of them, it seemed like they didn't really even have signs. Like they're just lodges that you just got to know about. You know, when people have been traveling over there heavily from all over the world, I mean, it's a destination to go hike the Himalayas, you know? Tourism has Nepal. to be like, it's really the only thing they got, right? They don't have like exports and other than souvenirs. Hash. Lots of fucking oh, really? I mean, weed grows. Weed is a weed. First day, we pick it out of the ditch, put it on the bike, dries out by the end of the day. We're smoking that dope that was growing in the ditch. No kidding. It was fucking awesome. Huh. And it got me way more stone than I needed to be that day. <laughs> Didn't realize it was going to work so well. I had no idea it would grow just in the altitude. It's everywhere. See, like it's literally everywhere. What a magical plant. Yeah. So you'd go do it again then? Oh, I'm going to do it again. Like we're looking at fall of next year. I'm giving away a trip on my show. Some One of my listeners is going to get to go there. Thanks to Motorcycle Sherpa. That is the real test of a ride. If you just, if you're like immediately done with it and you're like, I'm doing this again. It's not like what's next. Just like, let's do that again. Yeah. I mean, I, the whole go on a tour thing never really, this wasn't the first person to approach me about doing a tour, but the idea of flying across the planet to ride motorcycles with some people I don't know. It's hard to go across a couple state lines with my buddies. Yeah. You know, like, just didn't seem like a fun way to do it, you know? But this tour changed my whole perspective. You know, a lot of the people I knew, but I'd never ridden with. They're just people that I would see at events. You know, never really, only like on a work level. Like, hey, you're vending, I'm vending. Hey, what's up? Good to see you again. Hope everything's well. Never got to ride with any of these people before. And then being able to go over there and experience it all and not worry about where we're going to eat or sleep, you know, simply just take in everything around you, not never look at a map. I never looked at a map once. Mm. I didn't know where we were the whole fucking time. Mm. It was amazing. Like, you know, there are so many other things that I miss out on while I'm traveling because I'm keeping in mind as to, you know, I don't want to end up in a big city. Or, to, you know, I'm not going to try and camp in a big city or, you know, eat. Where am I going to eat? I like to eat a lot. You know, like that's that's a big priority when I'm doing anything. And just not having to worry about those things opened up my attention to everything else. You know? You can just kind of, like, look around. Look around, dude. Yeah. Except for we were going way too fast to look around half the time. And <laughs> that was awesome, too. But then you could just stop. And, like, park the bike. The way he had it set up where, you, like, we didn't, nobody got lost. 
Nobody, literally the way you do it, you stay on the road, you're on. If you're behind, there's a lead guy and a tail guy. If the lead guy turns, whoever's right behind him stays at that turn. Make sure everybody's there. And it, yeah, sometimes you're there for 30 minutes. Sometimes you're there for an hour and a half. And then sometimes somebody pulls up and relieves you. Like, hey, go ahead. I want to take a break and stand at this corner. Mm. God, there's a lot of responsibility on something like that now that I'm thinking about Dude, it. Dude, there are so many things that, like, I was like, man, I don't think you should do it like this. You know, Bear, he wanted my opinion afterwards. I'm like, yeah, I don't think you should do this. I think you should do it differently. And then he explained all the reasoning, and I'm like, oh, he's like, yeah, if I give everybody a map, tell everybody where we're going, then they think that they rented the bike, and they fucking just say, hey, I'll meet you there. And then if they don't show up, now I got to go look for him. Yeah, that's a good. He's oh. got to he's got to herd them. Yeah. And it you know, everything that I questioned, he explained to me and it, I was just like, don't listen to me. Like just tell me when we get to go again. Yeah. Cuz the whole thing was it just worked seamlessly. There was no problems. I mean, if somebody broke a bike, they would just give you another bike and the truck behind us would fix that bike. It, the weirdest thing was like when we'd get someplace for the night and they're like park all the bikes and then these guys would look at them you know I'm like uh, you know like I feel like I don't know that's part of the trip is like getting the bike ready to go again the next day oh for sure well now just go explore right this cool place that we just arrived in it's like traveling with a pit crew it was awesome yeah you know kind of it was it was awesome. I would be concerned about someone getting in over their head and getting hurt. That is a real concern. Yeah. That's a real concern. And he does there is some kind of screening process. I think with the group I was with, he was that didn't happen, you know. So he you just, passed. We turned it on from the <laughs> get go. <laughs> Cuz there's a lot of outfits that do that through Baja. Mm-hmm. Like those guided tours, I've I've always considered doing one. You know, I I started appreciating the guided thing. Like my dad, when we'd go on vacation, he'd want a fishing guide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was always awesome to like hear somebody tell you about the river, about the bends. You know why the fish, why we're fishing for the fish the way we are, and like cut to the chase. Yeah, and you just learn. There's so much more than like. Just following the motorcycle guide through the country. Like, he can tell you, like, the history of the area. And that stuff's pretty cool. I could see you doing that. You could see me going on another tour? No, being a guide. Guide, yeah. Yeah. Well, me and Bear talked about it. Because I would really enjoy it. He likes to have a, you know, he's got booty on the ground over there. But he likes to have him or somebody else, an American, that's like a liaison if you will you know to just because the cultures are so different you know like just kind of communicating why you do things a little differently to help people show respect and not disrespect people unintentionally yeah you know like the first thing they told me when i got there they're like all right the people of nepal especially the men are going to be real touchy-feely they're not trying to fuck you (laughs) that's just how they are (laughs) When they come up and they grab your hand to hold it while they're talking to you, that's just what they do. You were used to that, though. (laughs) (laughs) I got used to it real fast. (laughs) When I landed, I thought for sure there was going to be like a, 
a cobra coming out of a woven basket while some <laughs> dude's playing the pipe. That might be India. Dude, I show up and there's like a fucking 80s rock cover band playing at the bar <laughs> of American music. They were playing Boys of Summer when I walked in. Oh my God, you were home. Couldn't believe it, dude. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. That's amazing. I Yeah. Do you think uh, Bear would let us come over and do it on Choppers? Oh, we've already talked about it. Oh. Beautiful. No, he wants to do an inappropriate ride through Nepal with old bikes. Where can I sign up? Put me on I'll list. I'll make it happen. Yeah. We talked about doing a hooligan ride. Oh, my God. So after I was going to ride through, you know, at the beginning of this year before before 2020 really kicked into effect about March, I was going to ride the sports drive built to race the Mint down to South America. There was like this crazy road race from Austin, Texas to Oaxaca, Mexico. That was going to be the starting point. And then go down and see Rob Rouser in Panama. Found a pirate who has a ship that will sell you and your bike from Panama over to Colombia. And anyways, once I got that down there, I was going to fly home and then fly back and forth riding my bike around South America, exploring everything it has to offer. And then once I was done, Bear wants to wanted to fly that bike to uh, or ship it to Nepal so I could ride that Sportster mm. over there. And he would really like the idea of riding choppers over there. That would be so fun. That'd be amazing. I think we can make it happen. I mean, I don't get me wrong. And, and Snake went down to Brazil. It rented a him and Axel. They rented um, those big BMW GSs. And they rode around down there for a while. I feel like he was gone for a really long time. But when he got back, you know, I, was, I had a thousand questions. It was, what was it like? You know, how'd you? Yeah. I was like, dude, honestly, all I wanted was my chopper. It's like, I just wanted my bike. It would have been a whole nother experience. I think it's worth the hassle of taking a piece of you over there to ride it to know. And I'm getting, like, I love the Southwest. I love it. It's, my heart is here. It still is stunning every morning and every night. Like, I'm very happy with it. But I'm getting real curious about those places long ways away and what that's like. I I would like to ride my chopper overseas. More or less, I would like to fly with my chopper on the same plane, yeah. land, offload it, and ride. But after that trip to Nepal, wrecking somebody else's motorcycle. That was pretty sweet. It was. <laughs> I really don't care to ride my bike in other places. You yeah. know, like, the t- and, it, and I guess it comes to that time thing with the family. You know, like, being able to just fly over there and, yeah. like, really embrace the experience. And not, you know, like, embrace the culture. Just learn as much as I can instead of. You know, fixing my broken frame with a shitty stick welder on the side of the road. Like, that's a great story. And I would, that experience would be great. But I think I gained so much more by not having to do all that. Well, that's encouraging. I would, I like to hear that. And, you know, I like to ride motorcycles. Like, I love my chopper and I built my chopper because, dude, choppers are the shit. You know, like, that's, that's my dream bike. It's like the man, I've got... I saw those, the man paintings. I built yeah. my man chopper, 1621 with ape hangers. Yeah. 
But I like riding motorcycles. I started in the dirt. And I also like going places I've never been before. Yeah. Like exploring. What's around that bend? What's over that mountain? Going down roads I've been down before. You know. I think that's the most beautiful part about what you're doing, too. Because it encourages other people to leave home and go explore and have those adventures. Go see. To go, go see. It out. Be a seeker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do it with as little plans as possible. You know, or be flexible. That's one thing I've really tried to do while traveling this year. It's not really a trip if you plan it too much. No, I guess not. It's just a vacation. The adventure happens when there is no plan. Oh, is that how that works? That's how it happens, man. Just pick a direction till you meet someone and they change your direction. Yeah. Then you go that way. Changes direction. Listening to people is key. Yeah. Like key. Yeah. And really listening. What's one of the best places you found in your journeys? Just by listening. Um, from Creel down to Batopilas. And I did it on my chopper. By yourself? Nope. Mm-hmm. Nope. With old man Kickstart Mike. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And he lost his phone days before that. He didn't know where we were going. He didn't care. He was just... At one point, so we went down there with a group of people. Uh, Charlie the Nomad spearheaded this run to San Carlos. So us and a bunch of Americans crossed in Nogales, rode to San Carlos, and partied for the weekend. Rented water choppers and rode the Sea of Cortez. It was amazing. And uh, me and Mike from there, we're going to go find Copper Canyon. I'd heard too many great things about it. And uh, when we left that group to go to the unknown, it was tough. I wasn't sure how Mike was feeling. Because I knew if we'd have stayed there, we'd have had a great night hanging out with those guys one more night. Then we, we when we were leaving, I was like, "Oh shit!" I hope Mike is like, you know, we've been on the road for a week at this point, and now we're finally like, the the adventure started. We didn't know what we were getting into. Following a kid on a 125 cc Chinsincletta, even though Mike really loved the speed that that thing went, you know, 45 miles an hour tops. Mike loves that speed. Third gear ride, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like in between third. I would I would roll in fourth, and then go to third every once in a while just to get that oil flowing a little better. Yeah, know, and then yeah. go up to fourth and lug it. But uh, yeah, we took off in that first stop. I was like, wasn't sure how Mike's attitude was going to be since we just left that group of exciting, fun people, and he was just smiling ear to ear, like just stoked. And I was like, <clears throat> all right, we made the right decision. Had he been down there before? He used to live in Mexico City years ago. Okay. You know, like in the 80s probably. For just a few months. You know, just uh I mean, he used to hitchhike all over the country. He's good with just like making the best out of any situation. That's a good road dog. Yeah, that's the kind of guy you want. It yeah. didn't matter what was going to happen. He was going to be happy. Yeah. So, but yeah, we listened to some people. You know, you can't listen to all of them. I mean, you listen to them. But, like, the first guy we met was like, you cannot go there. 
promise me you will not go down these roads. Well, I'm not going to do that. He's like, these roads are dangerous. The cartel is serious right now. Mexico is hurting. The people are doing desperate things. I have a friend who lives on this road. He has not been home in three weeks because it's too dangerous for him to go. So I was just glad that Mike didn't hear that kid. You know, <laughs> Earmuffs, Mike. Yeah. Go, go smoke oh, a cigarette. Luckily, Mike can't hear very well, and he didn't bring <laughs> his hearing aids with him. So. <laughs> so we went down those roads, and they were amazing. They were fucking amazing. I mean, it was two days of twisties. There was maybe 10 places where the road was straight for 100 yards. It was just, and there was no traffic. Like, when a car would be coming, it would spook you, even when they're in their lane doing the speed limit. Like, it's like, oh, there are, there's cars out here. You got to remember that. God, that sounds beautiful. Through the mountains, there's just trees. I didn't realize how tropical it was down there. Mm -hmm. The weather was fucking perfect. The only thing, the most dangerous thing in Mexico, fuck, forget the cartels, is the speed bumps on the highway. Oh, yeah. Will fuck you up. Seeing Mike slide into one and hit it with both wheels at the same time. I don't know how he did it. I really don't know how. He just. How old is he? 68. Damn. Kickstarting his bike the whole time. And he had a starting issue. Like once the bike was running, it was fine. But it just wasn't cranking off first kick. But it was it was it was running so good. I was like, Mike, we could start fucking with it, but it's running. Yeah. Like I'll I'll jump in and help you kick. Sometimes it would take a lot of kicks in the morning. But uh, yeah, I was like, we don't need to be fucking with it. Like we can check a few things, but yeah, it's running. It's just <laughs> kick it however many times it takes to get it running. No need to be like making it worse. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty good mechanic, but some things I just, on the road, I don't fuck with stuff. If it's running, keep going. It's the it's the wise choice. Fix it when it's broken. But my I I have a problem with like I have this compulsive thing where you like tinkering. I don't like it. I just I make myself do it. Like I will create problems that are not there. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot better about it now than I used to be. But I learned that a very hard way. Uh, but you know, you hear things that aren't there and you, you just fuck your mind is its own worst enemy sometimes when mm-hmm. you're out there. Nobody, everybody talks about the very beautiful things that you think and feel when you're on the road. I find it kind of funny that nobody addresses the dark side of the road because there is one. Like when you get stuck in a loop on something that's like dark, you just kind of have to face it. You can't, you know, sometimes you can't pull out. Of I don't, maybe, maybe I'm different, but yeah, I don't loop. No, no, dark, I do. Dark loops. I do. But part of, I part, take the exit. Yeah. I wish I could do that. And like I said, I'm a little bit better about it, but you know, it's just being aware and practicing. I've pulled my heads off in a cracker barrel porch for just looking for problems that weren't no, there, no, wasting a day. See, yeah. Yeah. You just want, you just like that too much. I like the writing part. Don't get me wrong. I like the riding part, too. Was the bike not running? It was running. Oh. (laughs) It was running. And you pulled the heads off. Well, my concern was that I was damaging it to a point where I'd have to get head work done if I didn't check and make sure. And I had convinced myself. 
that that was the case. Just, and you thought you would do the head work in the parking lot? No, I was just making sure that I wasn't damaging the heads. And, uh, well, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last time I, I let myself go that far. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want to take my heads off in Mexico. I bet not. You had a safe trip, though. I mean, maybe that says something. I don't want to mislead anybody, but did you feel safe the whole time? I felt comfortable. Okay. But comfortable for me is, you know, where there are, there's, you know, you're right there on the edge. Yeah. Like some of these roads we were on, they're beautiful. You're out there. You know what's wild about the roads down there is how beautiful the landscape is, but they don't pour like an overlook area. There's no place to like park on the side of the road and look at the canyon. No shoulder. There's no shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and if we were to break down, you know, it's not a very good spot to break down. No. You know, one point we got separated and I wasn't sure if he was in front of me or behind oh, me because no. I just took this random dirt road just because i was like maybe there's an overlook maybe there's an overlook down this dirt road because i saw something through the trees like oh fuck that canyon looks beautiful oh there's a dirt road and then it and then there was like some signs of like some like camping going on there uh and anyways Car- cartel camp out i don't know i don't know dude at one point i saw somebody walking through the woods like with a backpack on and this is no this isn't hiking there's no they don't hike down there right anyways mike's gone i don't know where he's at i'm not sure whether to go up or go down i crank my bike up and just like rip the throttle a couple of times hoping that he would hear it or hoping he would do the same thing you know and then a couple of trucks drove by with the you know nice trucks dudes in the back mm. Um, and just the look that they gave me, it's like I can't, I can't lose Mike anymore. Like this has got to be more of a priority to not lose Mike. And right before that, so the the most intimidating part, I got, I was getting real sick, and was sitting under a shade tree. We're at this small store, convenience store, I guess. Yeah, convenience store. And it was, there wasn't anything within miles either direction. And there's this family that runs it. The lady sells us some cakes and some water. And the husband's there and the kid's there. And the kid's probably 19, 20. And Mike's talking to them. Mike's pretty good at Spanish, so they're communicating well. And the kid has a walkie-talkie on his hip. Mm. But he's got his shirt pulled around it, like tucked in underneath it to conceal it to some degree and it starts going off and I kept Mike in the dark about everybody that said we shouldn't go down these roads anyways Mike asked him who's on the other side of that walkie talkie no Mike and that was when I was like oh keeping him in the dark probably wasn't the best (laughs) move (laughs) we do not need to know (laughs) 
who is on the other side of that walkie-talkie mic. Because I guarantee you, it is not the cops. Okay, it's not the federales. And uh, we leave there, and that's when we got separated. And then that's when I saw the trucks. And then I finally find them, and uh, and I'm like, hey, what? You know, that's when I finally have. I don't have the conversation in front of this kid about how. Probably we, wise. We don't need to know. Yep. So I'm talking to him about it now on the side of the road once I found him. And he was like, you know, that's funny. That kid asked me how much our bikes were worth. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, Mike. We got to get where we're going. Oh, boy. We got to get where we're going. But that road, dude, just it dropped 6,000 foot down into Copper Canyon. Switch backs, just these crazy. They call this place Copper Canyon because... When the sun hits it right, the walls look copper. Hmm. And riding through there, I got a GoPro on my chest. I just burned through all the space immediately because I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. that's cool. Like, And you could have spent hours in multiple places down this road. And just, I don't know, it just blew my mind that nobody had done that with good gear to like showcase this place. And then you see those trucks, and you're like, oh, nobody wants to bring thousands of dollars worth of gear down here. It's just, you don't want to do it. But that stretch of road on my chopper was fucking amazing. And it would have been great on any bike, but riding our bikes there, fuck, it was sick. There's something about the draw of Mexico on a on a bike like that that makes you, you kind of like brings this emotional attachment to like the old west and like the outlaws that went down there on their ho- on a horseback mm-hmm. you know crossing the the line and getting down into mexico you know like young guns yeah yeah there you go old mexico trying to get down to mexico i think we ought to go do baja i'm in all right i'm game mike could be game too I like this Mike guy. I want to meet him. Oh, dude, you got to. It's fucking solid gold. It's nice to have someone like that on a trip, just a little bit older, maybe a little, like, wiser. or To see them light up, like, reinforces the decisions you're making. Oh, yeah, a yeah, whole time. Yeah. At one point, I was, you know, I'd been sick for a couple of days, and I was, like, ready to get the fuck out of Mexico. Oh, did you get the shits? Oh, bad. I spent 36 hours going from the shitter to the shower to the bed. Mm. And Mike's just bringing me Gatorade. Fucking, He loves those Mexican cakes, the <laughs> bread, the bakeries. Mm. They're delicious. Um, But there was a point where I was just like, you know, was just wasn't in a good mood. You know how when somebody is in a good mood and you're not in a good mood? Oh, it, God, it almost yeah. makes it worse. Yeah, yeah. I felt that coming on, and I was just, I snapped out of it. I was like, dude, you can't be like that. Yeah. Like, that's, can't go there. And I, and immediately, Mike's smiling at me. It was, it was at the point where it was fixing to have a negative effect. And I just changed my mentality, and it was back to, fuck, I'm glad you're here, Mike. You got to play the room. You know, when you start feeling yourself go down there, you're like, all right, who here else is in a bad mood? I'll go talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, you know what I mean. So those I don't people kill this guy over yeah, here. Yeah, those I'll people didn't speak English. At that point. Oh yeah, 
And the other thing is, it's like it's good to have someone that speaks Spanish or the language anywhere you're going. So that was that was probably smart. You I mean that. I feel like I didn't know I was going to get to lean on. I didn't know I was going to have to lean on that as much. Right. You know. Yeah. It was really handy just showing up. Mike would just start talking to whoever it was that needed to be talked to, taking care of business. I had I had a overlap with an old gentleman down in uh, Santa Barbara area. I was headed back up to Seattle from Los Angeles, and my buddy said, "Hey, I got a bike I want you to go look at, and it's here, and you know, it's the story behind it." And so I show up. You know, I'm all packed up. I've tra- been traveling for a long time, and this old guy, you know, limps out to the garage. Oh, hey, look at that! You know, you on an old shovel head? That's great. That man, that's neat to see. Yeah, yeah. And he opens up his garage. He's like, "This is the bike." He's like, I "Haven't ridden it for you know a couple years, and it's I changed it a few here. I put the mag back on. It's ready to go." He's like, "I just don't know if I can kickstart it anymore." I'm like. You know, this motorcycle could run right now. Like, you sure you don't want to go for a ride on it? I was like, I'll help you kick it. He's like, oh, gosh, I don't know. And we spent the, you know, couple minutes just, like, staring at it and kicking tires. He's like, well, why don't I try and start it? I'm like, okay, don't hurt yourself. Fucking fires that thing up. He's like, let's go for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> just, like, just like the guy Amos you were telling me about, the old-timer. He got on that thing, and granted, I had all my gear on, but, like, I could not catch him. That's fucking awesome. He was just fine. And this was still this was still a suicide shift setup, you know, and it, it was, like, high pegs and everything, and his knees were sticking out. Like, he was, he looked like he was 25 years old when That's he was riding it, and, and the style he was riding it. This is a shovel head in a VL frame. Like, it had a amazing chopper history to it and he had had it since like 69 so he's had it his whole life he just took him back in time he went straight back in time and we flew around the cliffs there and straight to the bar and he got off the bike and people were like holy fuck it's you know i don't I barely even remember the guy's name i think it was gary i just got a bunch of goosebumps oh dude and and it was like you just walked back it's like Mick Jagger just walked into the bar <laughs> i was like what he's the? bang on his chopper and we went i mean we went straight to the biker bar that he must have been hanging out at since he was a kid on the same bike yeah i was like this is beautiful and then at the end of the day rode with him back to the house and i was like i'm not buying your bike I'm like you, you got time left on it. Yeah, like, you call me when you're ready to sell. He's like, yeah, I don't think I'm ready to sell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just needed that that young blood. He just needed some energy from. He you. just needed to see someone else doing it. I think everybody his age had thrown it in the towel, sold the bikes, you know, done the thing that happens or died or died, and he kept it. And thank God he did, because that one day, however many years later, was worth everything to him. Dude, just being in the wind. Yeah. You need to see that happen. You need to see that come about full circle to know you're on the right path. Because I like, I have my doubts too. Like, you know, should I go back to commercial photography more, or like try and push that, or spend my time trying to make a way for myself that I know is where I want to be. 
but it's a hard conversation sometimes if you don't have a if you don't have a reference like that someday you will be that reference you know that Dan did it he's still going hopefully hopefully somebody's getting energy from me what's the next step for your your operation in Tell me a little bit more about it. I put this conversation off because I wanted to know more about MC, MC Shop Tees and how you structure what you're doing so people know. And So I started the podcast about four years ago. And there, was, there wasn't a lot of podcasts. Podcasts weren't as uh, prevalent. People didn't know about them. There's a lot of people listening to them. But once I got a following or we're seeing some numbers i'm like oh man like i could get some sponsors now you know when did you start what year four years ago okay i don't know 16 yeah it was 16 greg Ginokus, the guy i had on last week mm-hmm. or put his podcast out last week the first time we sat down was three and a half years ago and he was you know number 60 or something you know, he was early on or not that early on. I'm guessing four years ago. This After one year, I started thinking about, you know, I didn't start this to be a motorcycle podcast. I literally just wanted to talk to people that had figured out how to live outside the nine to five, mm. you know, narrative. But I like motorcycles a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, that's just where it went, you know? So, once it had kind of like turned into a motorcycle podcast and I'm looking for, you know, somebody to help me really keep it going where I wasn't having to pay as much money for my equipment, keep the shit on the internet, put some tires on my bike, you know, get me down the road to see these people that I'm talking to. I started looking at companies that could, that I could help out. You know, they could afford to give me some money to keep this going. And the conversations uh, started with them asking, what is a podcast? I'm like, so now I got to explain to you what a podcast is and why you should sponsor mine. And, you know, the way I saw it, the magazines were fucking struggling, you know. They're getting... People have been advertising in those things for years. They have a budget that if I could just get a small piece of that budget, it doesn't cost me near as much as a magazine Mm -hmm. to put out a magazine. So there's like, there's got to be a way for me to get in here, but I'm just not good at asking for money. You know, like I just, just didn't work. So I came up with an idea after my local shop reached out and wanted to, you know, support the show. What can I do? I wanted to sponsor your show. And I'm like, well, dude, that's that's awesome. But, like, my audience is worldwide, you know. There is a lot of people locally, but, you know, the numbers that I want, you know, it's just it's not going to benefit you as much as you would like. And really, he was like, I don't care. I just want to support what you're doing. Like, You're riding a motorcycle all over, an old motorcycle. And coming from this shop... This is like, when I found this shop, I just couldn't believe it. You know, they had parts for people that worked on their bikes. You know, they had every part for a four-speed transmission sitting on the shelf. Mm. You know, like, you could go there and buy the part and go home and put it on your bike. 
and they really had everything on the shelf back to four speeds. It's, it was, it's awesome. Brown cycles. And, uh, my sister-in-law worked for a company called dive bar t-shirt club. And the guy features the dive bar every month and puts out a t-shirt, sends out a postcard telling you about the dive bar, where it's at. And then you get another one every month. And somehow those ideas came together where I was like, fuck, there's places like Brown's out there, other motorcycle shops, keeping people on the road. You know, the people that are listening to my show that want to ride their bike, you know, not everybody can afford the time to work on their own shit. You know, they got jobs and there's other people, these mechanics that are keeping people on the road. How can I help them and help myself at the same time? And MC Shop Tees was born. I featured Brown Cycles. Instead of him, you know, giving me money for an ad spot, I sent out a bunch of T-shirts, a bunch of Brown's T-shirts to a bunch of subscribers and told them about Brown Cycles. And each month we feature a shop and do a limited piece of art, put it on a T-shirt and send it to everybody. And that's that's the formula. And now I send free T-shirts to all these shops. And then I'm and it's fixing to grow from there. I don't want to say anything yet, but I'm going to do the idea is to do more for these shops, support every local motorcycle shop. So it's the shops that are keeping you on the road. Yeah, that's brilliant, man. And if you ever break down anywhere near a shop, you do a T-shirt. For it, it happened this year. No, that, that's exactly how set. I find the shops this way. Yeah, I find the shops this last trip on the way here. My frame broke. I had just recently featured Cody's new shop, Hog Supply. Yeah. Fuck, he got me welded back up and sent me on the road. That's beautiful. It's like bringing the community together and riding along with it. So what are you saying that's next? You can't tell us. Well, I want to do more for the shops. Oh, you know, like right. I, I got some ideas to really give back to these places. Yeah. You know, a bunch of free T-shirts is cool, but I want to give them some, some real stuff. How many of your early podcasts that when you weren't really focused on motorcycles at the time were actually not about motorcycles? Did it always kind of go there? Is that why you went? No, that no. I had some musicians on one of my favorite podcasts with this kid named Earl. He's a glass blower mm. and the fucking recording was all fucked up, but I put it out anyways. I'm like, dude, this, even though this is hard to listen to, like you got it. When I met this kid, he was living in a tent behind a head shop learning how to blow glass mm. and now he's one of the most phenomenal glass artists where's he from i think arlington okay i met him in fort worth and now and he married a girl that i went to high school with small has work. a family and dude he's he's an amazing artist i studied glass blowing for a long time really that was my actually my very first job after I graduated was an apprentice with a master glass artist there in Kansas, two of them. And I got a, I got the job because they needed frames welded for these chandeliers that they were installing in these really beautiful homes and condos. There are these beautiful glass lily pads that had to be suspended by one point of contact. These things weighed like four to six hundred pounds oh wow so you had to work with an architect to figure out how you know when these places are being built to install them and then i did the framing to hold the glass and they had their apprentice there and he uh he got real sick and 
couldn't work. And I was there anyway. And he's like, hey, like, do you think you could try this? Like, we'll train you on this if you can fill in for him so we can get this shit done. And I fucking fell in love with it. Nice. It's the coolest process. So that was like soft glass stuff. Yes. Right. That's soft glass, not Pyrex. This is yeah. big scale soft glass. Of course, we learned. I learned by making small vessels first. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I did that for like two years and just loved it. And then I, when I moved to Seattle to take my job, my photo job with K2, that's like the glass blowing capital of the U.S. There's tons of glass blowers in Seattle. And I was I was still making glass out there when I got there. I found a couple shops and was making and then I just didn't have time. It's expensive, but I love it so much as an art form. Yeah. It's so underrated. Well, this kid's name's Darren. Okay. I think he goes by Earl Jr. now. And this the crazy shit that he is doing now with like the chambers and making the water go different directions and recycling itself. Like he's on another level. I'll bet. And uh you know, That's I was awesome. always inspired by him and his drive. I mean, living in a tent in the middle of Fort Worth behind this head shop, <laughs> you know, working the counter while trying to teach himself or, or learning from the other guys. And... Yeah. That's how it works. You have you start on a B team because glass is very inefficient. It's like once you get glass into its liquid form, you got to move fast while mm-hmm. it's still good. And, you know, it takes a couple rotations of people because you can't just sit there and do it all day it's exhausting work and it's yeah. hot as fuck so you you know you, you let the guys take the experience gathers off the top and then you get the shitty glass at the bottom and that's how you learn so that's exactly what i did yeah he went to like europe or something and took milan to italy this, maybe yeah to do learn the soft glass technique like yeah making big vases and... that's awesome i'm gonna have to listen to that podcast stuff Oh yeah. What happened was is I had a cell phone oh sitting next to the wires and it just picked up this move my phone back. Luckily we got headphones on. We oh. didn't notice. No, that's true. You know, cuz I don't do the headphone thing. This is all very new to me, Dan. This is I'm, I'm I've the mount that you just showed me with pushing the buttons you did and hey, it start. suits you well, man. It looks good on you. Does it? Yeah. Oh, thanks. I can talk all day. That's not hard. Yeah. But making it sound right. It's like I'm getting there. As long as they can, I don't know, with with the video as, as high quality as it is, you need some good audio. Yes. You know, like not, when you're listening to it on headphones and working, you know, I got, a, I got some wiggle room because as long as people can understand, mm-hmm. and even the background noises, people tell me they love hearing the crickets or the fucking mm. cows moving. You know, some noises drive me nuts, like when my tree scrapes my barn. <laughs> oh, my God. So corrugated steel, yeah. some, some branches rubbing. I've never really explained this on the podcast before, but what we're doing now is the byproduct of the videos that I'm trying to make. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have a certain level of of visual quality that I'm accustomed to, and I won't compromise. But I'm learning the audio side through this. So I take these little sound bites that you and I have in these moments and put it over the footage that we get as we go right around and and that becomes the formula that I can control entirely. One camera, one mic. That's it. That's the whole way I've been trying to convince someone that you could do this. As a as a uh one camera, two mics. Well, I guess it's two mics, yeah. One of what do you call this? A mixer? I call it a zoom. A zoom. Okay. One <laughs> you're right. 
one camera, one zoom. There you go. Never mind the mics. But anyway, in video or film, the one thing that will kill a beautiful picture is bad audio, and I'm very aware of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got to learn. i got a lot to learn. The little that I've heard and seen, I think you're onto it. Well, thanks, man. That's encouraging. Yeah. This is going to be a fun one. We've had... How are you feeling after yesterday? I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. <laughs> I am too. We uh, we had an off-road adventure yesterday. I don't know that we're going to do as much off-roading today because I am fucking hurting. But you'll see. And see. I'd like to get back without having to weld my frame together again. Yeah, I was thinking about that. That's going to be a true test of Cody's weld after yesterday. Yeah, well, it's just something else, you know. Yeah. I don't think it'll break there again. I'm pretty confident that what he fixed yeah. is fixed. I'm really impressed with your skills in the dirt. No one has ever followed me out as far as you have in these Dude, places. I've never ridden with somebody who can do it one-handed while, <laughs> no, while not even looking where he's going, looking in a screen. It's not even pointed the direction you're going. It's not safe <laughs> either way. No. <laughs> It's the only way to get those shots, though, without a major production. That changes everything. Yeah. You know, if I was in a truck in front of you, those shots would never look like that. Or more more importantly, they'd never feel like that. It wouldn't be as fun. No. No, and, and when you break down, it's like, I'm going to break down, too. We're on the same page here. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's something about that that it people trust me. And I've seen it before. I've felt it before. When somebody's like, let's go out and shoot. And they got like vans and rigs and jibs. And I mean, all that stuff looks really cool. But at the end of the day, it kind of looks fake to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No offense to that. But but it looks really overproduced. And and there's, there's not a lot of life inside of it. But when you go out there with, like I said, one camera, it's like you you're forced to figure it out mm-hmm. but I was impressed you did a fantastic job of keeping up I'm really shocked that I didn't wipe out well you almost hit me but that was my fault that was your fault that was my fault uh, I, I wasn't was, laying in the middle of the road in a matter of in a matter of okay in a matter of like 10 minutes I almost got hit by Dan and then I almost got hit by a Humvee mm-hmm. yes <laughs> you did <laughs> You never know what you're going to find out there. Yeah, when you were waving at me, I thought something was wrong. You were like... Yeah, I was like, don't! don't, 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 don't. And that Humvee was like camouflaged into the fucking the surroundings. And it was quiet. Yeah. It snuck up on me. Like, I was laying in the middle of the road, looking through, like... Because it's hard to focus, you know? It takes a lot of energy to, like, pull that focus. And I'm like, fucking... Sounds like someone's coming from somewhere. Real quiet. And then I don't even hear the motor. What I hear is the rocks cracking. No way. Yeah. And I'm like, shit. And I pop up and that guy like locks up his brakes. Yeah, because he said he didn't see you. Well, I was laying in the middle of the road. Yeah. Well, I mean, I look at the road when I'm driving down Well, sure. But he's looking straight into the sun too. Because that was the shot. Yeah, yeah. That's why that looked so cool. So anyway, we we definitely surprised him. (laughs) But we found out that those gates... Just to keep the riffraff out. Just to keep the riffraff out. And it worked. Yeah, we didn't go through them. I I wish we would have now. 
Next time we'll do the full we'll wash. Go back. We'll go back. We'll go back. I've not done a podcast this way because now, you know, you and I are going to, I usually record this after the whole trip. We still have half the trip to do. Yeah. Have we decided what we're doing? Are we going 62 or where do you want to go? I mean, I like the idea of camping next to the, one of those weird structures out there. I do too. Or at least like, you know, riding around. I don't know. Going. I didn't explore. Last time I was by myself, I barely had enough gas to get where I was going. Yeah. So there was no, I mean, I stopped and parked my bike on the side of the road and like walked around a little bit, but I didn't. I think we should go down 62 then because it's closest way for you to get home in case you have any troubles. You'd be that much closer. And it's just a fucking beautiful highway. Mm -hmm. Deadliest highway. Deadliest highway. (laughs) Deadliest highway. (laughs) I I just don't. There's there's definitely deadlier highways. What's the most dangerous road you've ever ridden on? Uh, That depends if we're talking about traffic or if we're talking about twisties or just deadliest. Those are all part all part of it. Deadliest. Trying to think of the closest call I've had. You know, I've gotten carried away just on Highway 1 a few times. Oh, like, yeah. Where that, that definitely puckered my butthole. I was telling you the other day, Snake and I were riding through a corner that I, I mean, I had assessed and calculated it was the chicane, and we, we like to ride side by side when we're doing it. We're hauling ass, and uh, the on the left-hand side, I just started dragging my kickstand that I had never hit before like that and it just started scooting my ass in over closer and closer to the snake we're on the edge of a fucking cliff God <laughs> and there's traffic and I'm like I'm sorry I'm sorry we, I mean we got through it but damn that was a close call yeah the one can be really dangerous when you're trying to get around slow traffic but it's definitely not the most dangerous well that and just like this looking at the scenery instead of the road how about that one road don't say what it is We'll save oh, that. Yeah, don't tell anybody about that. I'm not having. Don't fucking tell them. But there's some. There are some gems just out brought there. Brought it up. Now they're gonna fucking ask questions. Let them. That's part of this. Find your own way. I encourage it. So let's talk about that. Riding side by side. Mm-hmm. That was one thing Mike wasn't really comfortable with. He liked to stagger. We when it, when the road was straight. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I really enjoy looking, like when something happens in front of me, looking over to see the expression on the person's face riding next to me. Yeah. Even the full face takes away from that. Like, yeah, I want to see your face. Like, I want to experience this with you separately on different bikes, but at the same time. Amen. Amen. Like, that is, I mean, that's what... You know, Easy Rider. Just those scenes of them like looking at each other and smiling and like experiencing the road at the same time together. Well, you're talking to each other. You're communicating. It's a higher level of communication. And when you have that person that you ride with, like that road dog, and like you just over the years have worked out a a language. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I can look over at Snake. I can know if he's crossing lanes or what he's doing like two seconds before he does it. I just yeah. know that. And we're right. Yeah, because of what you're, what's happening in front of you. You know, you know what he's going to do. It's yeah, along it's, with his body motion. It's his body language and and just like how we like 
you know, talk. I was like, we don't have words. We don't need to speak through the wind or anything. It's just like, yep, I feel it too. You know, I hear it too. Uh, yeah, those moments are like, it's real special. So it may, that's what makes a trip a lot of the time. I, uh, in the past, I never, if I'm riding with somebody new, I always just like reading them, trying to get in that groove with them without ever talking about it, without ever like bringing it up at a gas station. Yeah. And people get nervous when you ride beside them sometimes. They do. Sometimes I push that nervousness like until they're just like, they almost just take off too fast or they pull over. Right. Like, hey, bro. Uh, but that's like, you know, one of my favorite things. And it hasn't happened very often lately. But early on when I was traveling, playing music, getting to ride with people in random places. Riding with somebody side by side in their own neck of the woods where they know the roads. Where you can trust that the mm. turn you're coming up to that. That's the speed. That that's the speed. Mm. And just... <laughs> fucking holding on like you know you're putting your trust into somebody that you don't even know that well but they're on a motorcycle and they're you know they're not injured from an accident so but you also don't want to like some people get pushed by that and want to ride faster because you're riding next to me that's also a problem so you got to read that too like if you're yeah. seeing that you you can't go into that turn side i typically don't ride with people who do that Really? Yeah, I'm always like, you know, like it's fine you come along or whatever, but I when I when you do what I do and I ride side by side close with a camera one hand, like you know, it's I'm risking it for people and they're risking it and trusting me. If you got one asshole that likes to overtake everyone and make some man, maneuver you're not calculating, like I'm really the only asshole that I want doing that yeah, yeah. with the camera because yeah. it it can, it can have a it just takes one split second of miscommunication there mistrust and it it can be bad. So I mean I I, I take it as a challenge to like rein them in like no no that's not what we're doing here yeah like come yeah. come ride with me yeah you know but I'm also trying to ride with them yeah and like this isn't we're not showing off like we're trying to get you to ride with me yeah yeah it's it's not my personality to try and like hurt anyone it never has been not saying that's yours either you're probably better at it than than well, i would be, necessarily hurt it's more like enlightened yeah you know, like i guess i just always grew up riding side by side i mean that's a beautiful thing yeah yeah in in california now that i think about it we all really do ride side by side really yeah like you go on a run with everyone, you know, our crew here, we have a very small crew, but it's very close. It looks big, I think, to the outside world, but it's really not. We just ride a lot because the weather's always good and everyone comes out all the time. So it's not necessarily a big group. It's just a consistent group. And I, I think we spend enough time riding where it's like everybody just lines up and goes. It's good. Yeah. I don't ride with a lot of groups that ride side by side. And we have good, we have pretty good roads. Maybe not the 405. Fuck that. <laughs> Fuck anywhere in LA, man. I, I just, I don't, I don't enjoy it. Is that it. where you're at now? Now that you're out, you're just like, how many times have you been back? 
I guess your work probably, drags you back. No, I. it's still not that many. I've probably been back eight times. How many of those were because of work? All of them. <laughs> probably almost all. Maybe so not. So you one. haven't voluntarily been like, I'm going to go see how so-and-so is doing. No, and I never really take my bike back anymore. Oh, yeah. I just, I, I don't. Unless I'm going, like, out towards the canyons, you know, Malibu, Topanga. That's beautiful. That's a whole nother world. That's not L.A., though. Yeah, that's not L.A. That up north, going north from there, whew, dude, that's the dream right there. Well, the last conversation we had, you said something that had really stuck with me. What's that? You're going to get taken out. If, you, if you're going to do this a lot, if you're going to ride in L.A., you're going to get taken out. Yeah. So, like, this trip, you know, I was working a timeout with Grant and Cody and stressing like hey i'm trying to ride as little as possible in this la traffic and get out as soon as possible like not because i'm afraid of it or i'm scared to do it you know i just am aware i want to continue doing this for a long time i want to come back so yeah. just the the least amount of time that i can spend splitting lanes and riding through you know riding down the highway the better chances i have of being able to do this again yeah. and again and again let me expand on that just a little bit because yeah. I didn't I'm I should explain this for people because the, the lane splitting thing has a lot people think that that's the dangerous part and it can be if you're riding like an asshole but it's it is safer and I've never felt safer anywhere in the city than on the highway lane splitting in between two cars in between two cars at five miles an hour 10 miles an hour at the most because you can still maneuver out of it even if they don't see you. But they do a really good job of looking for you here. What I'm most concerned about on the highway is being rear-ended. Because traffic stops all the time. And people slam into each other. You are dead. If that happens to you, if you're between bumpers when somebody rear-ends someone, you're done. Dude, I almost got taken out by a crotch rocket. Oh, this yeah. motherfucker came in, I see, don't know, a hundred and fucking eighty. And I, it, he was so close to me. I don't know if he brushed against my leather jacket or my leather, my heavy leather jacket sleeve moved. Yeah. And he was like on this line. He went from my elbow straight to the front of my tire. See, that's a douchebag. Inches. Yeah. Inches. And uh, those are the guys that cause accidents and make everyone look unsafe. I don't care what you're in. If you're doing that to people, like you're taking risks that are unnecessary. And are a Dude, it looked like so much fun. I just started <laughs> dreaming about going that fast. Like at that point, you're riding through cars that are parked. Yeah. You don't have to worry about them moving to like you're going so fast. Yeah. You're literally moving through a bunch of still obstacles. Yeah, they're you're passing them like they're standing still. But those those are the those are the cases that people associate with dangerous lane splitting. You know what I mean? I mean go through it as fast as you See, want. See, I don't but... think the lane splitting is it's it's this is the safest place in the country to split lanes oh absolutely the other places that i split lanes it is not yeah like it is so much easier here but just being out in that traffic and there's just so many fucking cars everywhere and everybody's really trying to get somewhere mm -hmm. like there is there if you're going to get taken out in la it's gonna happen on a surface level street 
where someone is trying to make a U-turn or grab a parking spot, make a left-hand turn in front of you, that's where it's going to happen. That's where you've got to have all your armor. Like You're just like, no, I'm, I'm playing the game. When I ride through the city and I'm on a surface street, I pace a car. I grab a car that's going speed I want to go, and I just follow them at a distance that if anyone pulls out in front of them, they're just going to battle ram right into them. I'm going to go around an accident. Yeah. Because I've seen that happen. I play that card a lot. Yeah. And if anybody's listening to this and you're new to riding, like, please listen to me because it'll save your fucking life. Don't get caught out there alone. That is the most vulnerable part time that you're going to be on a bike is when you're like feeling good and you got two lanes open beside yourself and you're not even thinking about that oncoming car who's looking right through you because you're a motorcycle and they're looking for a parking spot or making a left-hand turn and they just... Go right in front of you because they don't even look at you. Assume nobody can see you. Yeah. And assume they're all coming at you. It's kind of fun. It's, fun. it's a fun game. It'll keep you alive. Just never let your guard down. But when I talk about getting hit in L.A., it's because there's no parking places. There's weird streets that are these strange J-turns where people have to turn their head way far. And they, if they're not looking for a car, if they're looking for a car, they're not even going to see a bike when they turn their head. And that's, that's how a number of our friends have died out there. Yep. Yeah. You're good on the freeway. As long as it's not the 405. What did you say? It's like, uh, it dribbles you. It's like dribbling a basketball. Yeah. Yeah. Except for your kidneys are the basketball. It's your internal organs. You're probably bleeding internally right now. There's, there's more so than before. Yeah, more so than before. Yeah, that's one that I... you. Someone should write a map of L.A. for choppers, or it's just freeways to stay out, off of. Put out a new one every month, because I'm sure it changes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's sections of the 10, I mean, isn't there like the an 60? app that tells you where the homeless have shit, you know? I've heard Rogan talk about that. That's a good idea. Surely there's an app that's like... <laughs> Don't go down this stretch right now. You'd be limited to like very few places now in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. It's getting filthy. How do you feel about everybody moving out to Texas? I, you know, how do you feel about people moving to your neck of the woods from anywhere? Like it depends on the person. You get a lot really? of good people too. Yeah, I mean, you talk about I just this. Underst- I know. That not everybody's good. And the numbers are good to yeah. not good. I have a lot of good people. You know, like... Yeah. I'm not saying I don't need any more. Yeah. I'm always willing for more, but, you know, the mass exodus... And I can tell by the houses they're moving into that they're, you know... Not like, your people? We're not good. <laughs> like, we're already on the fucking wrong foot here. <laughs> when you move into a brand new cookie cutter home... Yeah. You know, I know that. Yeah. You yeah. can have all those people. I can see this. There I you go. I can see it. I Take them. <laughs> I don't have to meet you to know that we are on two separate paths. Yeah. Not that I don't feel like there's, you know, room for change or maybe I can learn some things. They can learn some things. Uh, I guess what is frustrating is it just happening right around me. And then also not seeing the infrastructure being built for all this, you know, there's fucking houses going up, but the roads ain't getting bigger. Yeah. You know, I mean, they put in one of the biggest additions 
in North America, in between where I live and Fort Worth, and the highway hasn't changed. That's going to be a problem. That's a problem. You may have to find a new spot. We'll see. It breaks my heart, even out here. Look, I... Our economy is based on people coming here. It's tourism. Any place like that is going to... It's going to get people moving out there. Buying more houses or building more houses. Because it's, it's either beautiful or entertaining. Or both. Which this is. And that's just part of it. And if you're there early enough to the game to enjoy it before it gets blown out. You just have to enjoy it. You know, I try and try and keep my attitude good about it. But this could be a subdivision sooner than I want it to be. And if that happens... You gotta, you gotta pivot. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, I'd say like 80% of the people who have moved to this neighborhood that I know of anyway, are chopper people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, once again, you can tell by these houses, the kinds of people that are coming to houses like this in a neighborhood like this. Yeah. You know, I would take them a pie. Right. You know? Yeah. Welcome to the neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah. The neighbors that are moving in next to me, I will build a fence. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm not going to go, you know, and that's terrible. Like me even just thinking about like that is terrible to not go and welcome my new neighbors. But that's not my first thought is to go welcome my new neighbors. First, I want to strangle my old neighbor, Mr. Jed Wagey. Shout out to Jed. Which it's a guy I love, you know. Like I wouldn't. He did exactly what anybody would do. He he made he moved out. He got to live on a place. He sold it, made a bunch of money, bought a place even further away. He didn't have any like sentimental ties to the area. Yeah. Super nice dude. He's got a fucking great campground in Sturgis. Uh, I look forward to figuring out a way we can work together on that. But when he fucking told me he sold it to a developer while I was in Sturgis. Oh, God. I. Oh, no. I I met him after doing a podcast with you. I wrote home. And I'd been to Mexico that trip. Get home. And. Or maybe that wasn't the same trip. Anyways, when I got back from Mexico. Go to sleep that night, wake up the next morning, Wagey's at my fucking door knocking on it, like, hey, I got a bull in your pasture. Mm. So I put on, I don't even think I put on any clothes. I think I grabbed coffee and in my underwear, jumped in the John Deere. We went and hunted down this bull. And he sees my bike and he's just like, oh man, are you going to fix this up? Are you going to like get this thing back on the road? (laughs) It is on the road, motherfucker. motherfucker. (laughs) I just got back from Mexico. But I can understand, you know, why he might think that. Didn't look like his fucking dolled up road king. Right. He was like, oh, sick. Well, I just bought a campground in Sturgis. We've been friends ever since. Super nice guy. But yeah, he sold the property. That's who I wanted to strangle. You know, these people that are moving out, like they're, they want to enjoy what I'm enjoying. Yeah. But I can tell the way they're doing it. They're not, it's not going to. It's not what's going to happen. Yeah. It's changing, man. It is changing. Listen, I got no 
like you're always going to land on your feet for some reason. I think at this point, I feel like you've got something figured out. So wherever you end up, it's going to be a good spot. It's just that attitude, man. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people here, bitter, like just poisonous about it. They're so mad that they're not enjoying anything that's still here. There's, there's still plenty of fucking desert to well, enjoy. I mean, that's what Texas is. You see, I mean, I get fired up too, just because it's fun to get fired up about and yeah. bitch about people from California. Mainly because <laughs> I enjoy coming out here so much. I'm like, fucking, why are you coming to, like, stay there? <laughs> you know, and then they come and bitch about the politics in California. And I'm like, all right, well, you did that. You know, like, that's, this is not like those people got in power just because, like, but I got to be honest with you, man. Your your outlook on things, to me, doesn't feel totally Texan. You know, well, I'm sure it's not. I know. Because I've been to places. Right. I've experienced things. Yeah. And, and you're still Texan through and through, but it may so happen that some of these, some of these California mindsets, mind you, not the political sloppiness of things that they embody but some of their creativity or you know free-spiritedness might might wear off on some of the locals too eventually it's that exchange you just got to be open to it yeah because you can't stop it and i think that's the biggest problem we're just trying to stop people's minds from expanding right now well the conversations like people don't have don't communicate really well you know, there's like they have these walls put up. They don't want to hear other points of view. And I get that, like, maybe you don't have time for that conversation right now, but don't shut the door to it. That's what's crippling the country right now. It's like we're just, nope, nope, shut that door. Nope, 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 nope. Close it. And nothing's ever going to get fixed or understood. I'm not saying you can fix anything, but nothing's, there's never going to be another level of understanding if it's not openly discussed just respect for other people yeah to listen it's so fucking simple but our source of entertainment right now is outrage it's what you talked about it's like that getting carried away and that's funny to rant you know and do those things when it's like for maybe a comedic reason but in real life it's like people think that that's okay now to really embody that and it's just given way to hatred and misunderstanding. And How do we fix that, Dan? That's when the Texas in me really comes out. <laughs> <laughs> With a double barrel and an armadillo. Yeah, minus the armadillo. Right. I mean, I don't think there is really fixing it just being I mean really all you could do is work on yourself you know take care of your shit in your you know your vicinity directly around you Work. you know what I've been doing what? working on my house and my family you know like the time that I've been given I'm like oh I need to get my shit in order before I can really you know because I've I felt like a responsibility to my audience and anybody listening to take what has been happening this year and turn it into words that are digestible and inspirational. And it's been tough. So I've been ignoring a lot of topics, not really ignoring them, but like 
working on myself more than anything so that I can be at a place to truly do that to, you know, at a level that is, you know, valuable. Yeah. And talking to the people around me. Yeah. Trying to, especially the people that don't see eye to eye with me. Yeah. Working on those conversations. How can I conversate with somebody who does lock up whenever I mention something that they don't agree with? How do I figure out how to have that conversation where they're, you know, not locking up? It, it is recording. Okay. <sighs> Sorry about that, everyone. My card ran out just as Dan and I were getting into it. Well, I mean, what I was saying was, is I truly believe that we all want the same things. It's just, we're just not sure on how to get there. And I've, I've been given a platform where there's people listening. So I've been taking, you know, I feel like I've really been working on that. The responsibility is there, I feel like. Yeah. And, you know, right now I feel like they're, we're in a weird time. The internet, you know, we've seen what it does to the, did to the music industry, the storefronts. And now there's like, where in the past leaders came up, it was easier for somebody to, like for everybody to be focused on one thing and bring a group of people together. Where now there's so many options it's like I, we're never going to have a band as big as Led Zeppelin because there's just so many options. It's a chorus of voices. We're now. not all going to get on that same page again. Yeah. And want to flood those spaces together. And, and like a bunch of people there that all want the same thing. Okay. Because there's not as many options. Let me say, then. let me say this. Yes to that. But there's there's something very also very dangerous happening where you want to believe that everyone kind of does want the same thing and the goals are the same but now it's just it's this thing of being right is what everybody wants they just want to be right unless we get some leaders who are willing to show by example that this isn't about being right it's about listening it's about having these conversations, leading by an example that maybe it includes voices you don't want to hear, but you know what? They're there, and you're going to drive yourself fucking crazy by trying to drown them out or disprove it or whatever. It's it's more difficult now to get everybody on the same page. Yeah. Because there are so many options. Well, there's a lot of us. Man, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us. Everybody's talking. <laughs> and everybody's got a podcast. <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. I'm new to this community and everybody that's, you know, helped me out. And just like what you sh showed me just now, you know, that kind of thing. It's, <clears throat> it's exciting information. Well, I think, uh, you know, everybody, there's been a lot of people that have reached out, wanted to start a podcast. And I give them, I tell them everything I've learned. You know, I don't hesitate. I feel like the more people, you know, promoting podcasts, it's just the better chance that more people have a chance at hearing mine. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And getting to experience the beautiful people I've met along the way. You know, when you're driving down the road, you're in a new place and you're just looking for a radio station. I, I remember those times. Remember those days? Yeah. Maybe there's only like three on the dial that are coming up and you're like, all of these suck. We're at a time that that will never happen again. Because <laughs> there are so many options you could find exactly what you're looking for. It's kind of amazing. So I've been toying with the idea <clears throat> of doing some kind of local business. With, I, with like a storefront? Well, whatever it may be. Yeah. Something that I can, a service I can provide to my local community. And along with that, there will be a more localized show, podcast form. But it's almost like your local talk radio. I remember going to school, going to work, and like hearing what the dudes had to say that morning about what was going on. Yeah. About in our area. Yeah. And I do miss that, you know, like a localized, you know, something that we're all listening to. In yeah, your own area. hometown. Yeah. Yeah, that is. That and is. I look forward to doing that. Yeah. And like, and maybe it's not even me, but just facilitating it, mm-hmm. you know, and bringing that community aspect back. So my local newspaper, they just started a podcast. And the one that's local to my town is... Well, it's terrible. It's just terrible, you know. But there's one from the town I grew up in, the Community News in Alito. And he reached out to me, knowing what I do, and wants to start his own. And I just, just, just been trying to get him to do that so much, you know, like, because he's already got all the stuff there, you know, like he's got the information, just putting it in a different form that people can digest through their ears. While doing other things. Yeah. That's a good idea. You know, the business owners, the entrepreneurs in the area, showcasing their stories. I remember when I was in college, we had a local pirate radio station. That's all I listened to. Not just for the music, but for, you know, the personalities on there. Yeah. And and there was something really tangible about it at that point. They talk about places you understood. Like, yeah, they say the name. You know what it smells like. It's you know, who's playing here. Like, it it was a great. That was a great time. I mean, just the idea of the the DJ curating a playlist. Yeah, we lost that a long time ago, and I feel like that there is quite an opportunity for somebody to do that now. There's a guy named the first podcast I ever listened to. You hear that? Is your phone close by? Oh, mine is. Mine is. Is that number three? Whoa, dude. (laughs) No, that was just the the signal chirping in. Oh. Did it break? It's a hard ground over there. It's a concrete floor on this side. But uh, the WB Walker's Old Soul Radio Show. And he would showcase new bands that he found. You hear new music. And I feel like that somebody could do that now because there are so many options and people don't want to pick their playlist. They want to hear, and that's one thing that Spotify and these other platforms have done real well, where you plug in one song and then it, the next song is something in that genre. And somebody could do that now. I've learned so much through Spotify. Yeah. 
I've never been a, a pursuer of music. But having somebody that would do that yes. and give you a little bit of insight as well as to why they're playing the next music, yeah. where they heard about them, where they learned about them, where they came from. You know, like, just like art, you know? The story behind the art is what sells the art. That's why the artist never really makes the money because somebody else finds the art, tells you the story about the art, and gives it more value. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's going to be exciting to see us get over the hump here and get into something a new a new sense of encouragement in this country and everything that's going to come about out of that because some of those old structures have just crumbled. Like sometimes it's got to break completely before we fix it. Yeah. It absolutely does. I feel like, you know, we were close to something breaking in 2008. Well, that was the housing crisis. Yeah. There's lots of things. I mean, the the car dealers and manufacturers, the banks, you know, instead of having to restructure and figure out how to operate in this. I mean, I feel like that had a lot to do with the Internet, you know. The internet is changing things so fast that we are not evolving as quick as it's changing things. That's for sure. You know, the social dilemma did a great job of highlighting things. I think a lot of people, though, only saw, like, the stuff on the surface that that that, that documentary talked about. You know, like we talked about, you say cat food, the cat food ad shows up. I think that's a convenience thing. Yeah, that's There's, not the worst thing. No, I'm that's not that too. bad. Yeah. Um, it's the echo chambers. And then the fact that the the quote-unquote fake news travels seven times faster than the truth. Yeah. People making money off of selling fear. And outrage. And yeah, yeah. I, I think the thing that I've seen, I mean, obviously the the political unrest has, has been pretty obvious throughout the country, but the psychological side of that film, you know, the mental health I've seen over and over and over again. And that's, that's really scary. Yeah. The generations coming up behind us that don't know anything but being plugged in. Well, in yeah, everything that we're talking about now and trying to like, you know, implement in our lifetime. It's got to be for them because they're the next ones coming up and so far gone. (laughs) Too far gone. Too far gone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of scary. Your kids will do a good job, you know. I wonder sometimes. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you never know. It's the thing about having kids. It's always a risk. I think you, you don't know until it's too late. Right. You know? Right. Well, we got a long ways to go. Yeah. Should we do it? Should we get going? Head on down the road? Is that what you want to do now? Well. Did you ask all your questions? You had like a lineup of questions. Did I? I was impressed. I mean, I I was coming up with them on the fly. Okay. But I feel like there's some questions people are going to ask me. Oh, yeah. 
I'm trying to think of anything else that we could cover before you. What came. else are they going to ask you? About you? Yeah. Probably about your music song too. You didn't talk anything about that. Music. You've lived a lot of different lives. Some people know you from different things. Yeah. I love music, and it's something I've come back to, really. Since I quit drinking, I quit listening to music. Like, I literally, music used to be something I listened to all the time. There was always a radio speaker around. And, um, well, first off, I started playing music long ago. Grew up in the band, marching, playing drums. I got a scholarship to play in a drum line at Oklahoma State. Oh, wow. Went up there, got all set up, and then was like, I met this amazing group of musicians down in Texas and said, fuck school, I'm just going to start gigging. So I did that, and we made some amazing music. It was my introduction to country music. And uh, it was like some heavy metal dudes and a country singer. And the heavy metal dude, this guy named John Siler, amazing at the guitar. You know, played with some amazing bands. And, you know, I was telling him, I was like, man, it's really hard to like, like I enjoy playing with you guys, but being a drummer in a country band, like I just never saw this coming, you know? And he was like, let me tell you how, you know, I came to be here. Kyle Bennett, the lead singer, songwriter, wanted me to play the guitar for him. And I'm like, I'm a metal guitarist. I don't want to play country. He's like, just just come to this event with me. There is this festival called the Larry Joe Taylor Festival out in Stephenville, Texas. So Kyle Bennett hauls John Seidler out there. In the parking lot, as they're you know, getting out of their truck, loading their coolers up, this like hayride comes through that transports you from the parking lot to the event center. It was a shuttle? Yeah. A hayride shuttle? And he was like, there was two naked girls eating each other out on this hayride. And he was like, after seeing that, I knew that the country music genre was where I belonged. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so after hearing that story, I was like, all right. So I played with him for a while until I got thrown in jail. It's kind of hard to play drums when you're in jail. And uh, moved on a little bit further in life. Um, started playing like in a, like a rockabilly band. It was like rock and roll and country. Yeah. It was perfect. It was fun. It was like where I feel like I did a lot of really creative things. Did you have a pompadour? No. Pomp- what the fuck's that? The pompadour is that rockabilly like. Oh, no, no. The lead singer did, I think. Okay. Except Somebody's like got to have a pompadour in that band. A farmer. Wait, what did you go to jail for? For drugs. Okay that point in time I went to jail a lot I got five DWIs Ooh, five it's amazing you're traveling as much as you are now it really is <laughs> um, yeah so I started playing music again This <clears throat> then this lead singer wanted to start a bluegrass band and uh, couldn't find a, a rhythm guitarist I was like fuck it I'll learn so on a handful of cheap amphetamines a week later, we played our first gig. A week? Yeah. That is a crash course. And, uh, well, you know, I had, it's just a percussion instrument. Especially I guess, when you're yeah. playing it as a rhythm. 
I so get it. I had to learn the chords with the left hand. The right hand pretty much was easy. Right. So playing the guitar, I was able to strap that on a motorcycle. So when we started touring, you know, I did a couple years with them in the van or bus. And uh, then I started taking my bike, and it was hitting the road with a guitar and a skateboard on your own motorcycle with the place to be every night where people were waiting for you to party was pretty fucking awesome. But when you're in a band and you're not like killing it, you know, we're, we're making enough. We're not bringing home money. We're making enough to like travel. Yeah. You're hitting the road together, you know, like you're a team. Where are we going to stay each night? What are, how are we eating? Blah, blah, blah. But when you're on a bike and you can just say peace out, it's a lot easier to find a place for one person to stay than it is to find a place for the whole band to stay. Like created this division. And uh, one night the shit just hit the fan and I felt like they just fucked me. So I just left, just left them high and dry. I was like, peace out if you guys don't, you know, since I'm not a part of your team anymore, I'll just leave. And I rode to my buddy's Al's shop. And he had a tattoo shop as a guy I met. First time I met him, we were, our, both of our bands were opening up for David Allen Co. Deep Elm, Dallas, Texas. Anyways, I rode to his shop because I knew that he rode motorcycles and he played music. And I told him that I was done playing music. I'm ride motorcycles. And uh, if I do play in a band again, I want it to be with some guys that ride motorcycles. And that was seven years ago and we finally got together last year and made it happen went on a tour through texas riding our bikes to each gig of course the bass player had to drive everything in a van but it was awesome it was fucking awesome and then he wanted to record an album and i was like dude you know albums aren't the same as they used to be and we're not doing this full time like we're not going to go on tour to promote it and uh let's just do something cool let's like let's just record a fucking awesome experience not be as worried so much about how it's going to sound and capturing you know the sound like let's capture the experience with audio you know let's go fucking set up someplace cool and play music and record it and just whatever sound we get's what we get so we tossed around some ideas the name of the band is the outbound train my buddy had a sweet old train car on this ranch out in West Texas. I really want to do, I really want to set up on a cliff in Big Bend and play to Mexico and record that just underneath the stars. Uh, but we know this place, thanks to my buddy, Mr. Randy, Chemical Randy, called the Cosmic Shed. And it's just this energy accumulator. So we set up on the third floor and just worked on our music. It was the first time we ever got to just like sit down and play music for two days straight. And we recorded a handful of songs. We ended up, and I just used my podcast equipment, like had the podcast equipment going and it had the computer going, had to like put it all together and we uh, put out a vinyl and the idea was just to go play motorcycle shops and shows or at skate parks and then 2020 happened 
Then it happened. Yeah. But you still connected all the dots somehow. We did. And it was awesome. Like just riding motorcycles to the shed and playing music for the weekend and not just enjoying the experience. Because right now, like you just give the music away anyways. Yeah. It's more of like a tool to get people to come to your show and buy merch. You give it away, but they own you. Well, if you do it through the... Yeah, through a label or... Yeah, and yeah. Like, so we went even further than just like releasing something on our own because, once again, you're still... You pretty much just give it away. Like, you, up, like people just stream music. So it's more of like an advertisement to come to the shows. So, yeah, we just did it totally different. I bet there'll be a lot of a lot of interesting music that comes out of this time. You know, I was really disappointed early on. Mm-hmm. You know, all the musicians out of work and they're just fucking setting up their cell phones and playing their acoustic guitar into it. It's just <laughs> that very you? poorly done. Right. Like, I understand that they're just, like, trying to figure out any way to get people to, you know, give them some money because they don't have any work. And I was, But I was just like, fuck, the sound guys are out of work, too, you know? Like, heaven forbid they come over and help you set up some fucking mics. You know, I'm sure there's a video guy like, and then the Texas gentleman did exactly what I wanted. They just made this fucking bitching video in this cool space, full band. What else are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Like, what else are you going to do? Why, with your time? why couldn't these other people with it have budgets to do bigger and better things that are just playing a fucking live acoustic video? Sometimes the, a budget is the death of creativity, man. Maybe so. It really can be. The Texas gentleman fucking nailed it. I don't remember the name of the song, but they fucking got the piano, the guitar, the drums, bass, and it was a cool video. And I still have yet to see other people do stuff like that. I've been watching my buddy Rocco, who does all the music for my show. Yeah. He records nonstop now. He's never been busier. Everybody's locking into the studio and making the shit happen that they've been talking about for years. Yeah. And the stuff that he sends me, he has this little tape recorder. Like it's a Swiss made from the 60s real-to-reel real. tape machine that he just sets up mics and plays into. And I send him a video and he gets the inspiration and he sends it back. And it's fucking beautiful. That's awesome. It's unreal. I've We would have never worked this way if it were, you know, if we didn't have the time and just the impulse to make something while we're sitting still and it's really turning into something neat that's awesome yeah yeah and i'd I'd say that's half this thing like half the the most important part of these videos is the music that he's making for me it's really real important it's real important it's half of the experience i am really glad to see you doing something thanks man when we talked before you know i'd all I knew you from was that the book Too Far Gone. I found at Zia's house. Yeah, I was like, "Who the fuck is this? This is sweet. What's where'd you get this book, Zia? Oh, that's my friend." <laughs> I was like, "I need to meet your friend. <laughs> this has got to happen." Bless your heart, Zia. I gotta I gotta see where this goes. And then showing up at the Chun, like, just that place was mind boggling. And then to like hear other people, you know, it had history. It was, you know. I had no idea it existed. It was really a beautiful experience. And uh, and then sitting down and talking to, with you here in this story, I was just like, wow. And then seeing, you know, how creative you were and how talented you were, I was really 
disappointed that you were like you felt it so necessary to have some somebody else be a part of it yeah and that you were like it was like keeping you from doing it to some degree i fucked up and i was just like man you this is 20 20 or 2019 dude yeah. like you have all the tools right here and there's ways to do this and i had the facility at the time too you had it all right there and i was so hell-bent on getting getting the right people behind it before i just went for it I, i'm just kicking myself man well, I hope that I like you gave you a little you bit did. of inspiration. You did what we sat down and did that day. I was like, "There's something to this. There's something that's like." It was a game changer. I saw how easy it was to get the piece that I was missing. I knew I could do everything else by myself. I know I could shoot it. I knew I could edit, and I knew that I could tell a story that way. The things that I was missing was the music. And was the, uh, I guess, a voice behind it. The outlet. The outlet. And, that, and that's like the string that ties it all t- together. And I'd never held a microphone or done anything with sound and, and seeing how easy and simple you'd made it. I was just like, motherfucker. Because the original concept that I had is that I would do the kind of Bruce Brown thing where I'd narrate over it. and And I tried that a few times and I was like, this just sounds stupid. It's too contrived. My biggest problem with everything that's out there right now is it's very forced. And it's it's just a it's a facade. It's not How did Bourdain do it? Cuz I, I really enjoyed his narrating like I miss that guy. That that was that was one of the inspirations behind this was like him showcasing the cultures. And I don't feel like I do anywhere near justice to the people, the guests that I, the brilliant people that I get to talk to. But, you know, he inspired me to like share stories from people, you know, and, and I don't, you know, I've had everybody from like Todd Bluebaugh to Roland Sands to just some person I met on the side of the road, you yeah. know, like everybody's got a story and I, but yeah, he was really good at narrating and writing and talking about everything but food. And that's kind of like, the way I feel like the the motorcycles is just the, the the vehicle that gets me to these people and helps me break the ice. And then it's everything else. You know, people always wonder why I don't talk about motorcycles on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you can do that with your friend, man. Like, let's hear the story, man. What's There's so much more. That's the peek behind the curtain everybody's looking for. And Bourdain had a way of disarming everyone. And he was well written too. Very. His his sentence structure and his delivery was so concise and there was nothing but him in it. And he would carry that same presence and delivery when he was on camera. And I think there's a there's a split between there's kind of like two people involved in that entertainment department. It's the ones that can write that could never sit down and deliver the same level of quality but he had it both so when he stepped in whether it's to speak or to just have a a dinner with someone you were dealing with the same guy so when you heard his voiceover his narration you felt like you were at that table too 
Yeah, it's a special person that can do that. I think you can do that. Well, we'll see. I, I mean, <laughs> Thanks, can. Ed. You can. I know you can do I mean, that, That's what too. I'm saying. Like, the, what you're doing now, you're using, like, uh, you know, the audio from your guest. I think that's beautiful, but I also believe that you could you could do it. You know, and I guess that's what that small clip of you and Snake traveling that road to the mine and talking to those people. It was it's crazy because I was having those thoughts about something like that to add to my road shows because starting to get more uh, practice in traveling and not running into as many issues to talk about. You know, I'm just like stopping to get gas. Yeah, <laughs> but how do you make a scene out of that? You know, that's that's what that's where I was going. Was yeah. like, why is this road here? And then talking to you and you're like you already did a, a whole fucking episode i was so bitter based when you on came. that same shit <laughs> i was like i'm behind you know but it was cool to see somebody in the same like getting to the same spot like yeah. getting like you know all those roads lead to one it's like dugan said on the last episode these experiences do guide us to the same place often at the same time just coincidentally, when you stepped into the shop that day to do that, I had reached a tipping point with where I was at in the way that I was trying to do it. And when you stepped in and did what you did, I was like, fuck, dude, that's the missing piece of the puzzle that sets me free from all those. And nothing against the producer types or the entertainment types that have the Rolodex and the con and the contacts to get you somewhere. But they're becoming obsolete just because we have YouTube and we have these things that can show the analytics and speak for themselves rather than having someone step into an office on the 35th floor and speak for you. And that's where I was getting fed up, where I was just like, we're being misrepresented here. Not only that, but when we when the camera comes out and they want to do something, it's all their impulses pulling them in the wrong direction because they won't trust the audience that I know. And so we were making something that I wasn't entirely happy with. It was a little, it was, it was way more fake than what Snake and I were originally, our original concept was. But there just wasn't the trust there to do it. When I figured out that I had the resources to just, it's almost like prove it. It was the, it was the nail in the coffin. And then of course COVID. I'm like, well, I can get out there on my bike and I can really test this theory and bring home the uh, the, the pudding, evidence. The yeah, and, and you know it's been good. I'm glad I did it. It was worth it. I just have to figure out now how to back it financially enough to keep it going because the amount of time I spend editing is absurd. I bring home so much material to just cut and cut and cut that it's it's exhausting, but. I mean, so maybe sometimes the episodes, the visual episodes are every other one or something that I pace that out or I, f or maybe if I get a financial backer or something, I, I don't know. It, it'll open up doors. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't wait to see it evolve. And I'm so thank you, Dan, like humbled and dude, I, 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 it's, it's awesome that you reached out to me and dude, I'm, I'm so stoked to be a part of it. You're my fucking North Star in this, man. It all came together that day. And that's the overlaps that happen in bikes, too, I've noticed. No matter who you are or what you feel defines you, a motorcycle can disarm that 
because you're a traveler at that point. You're both on the same team, and that's the world that I want to be a part of. I think if more people in the world had something like motorcycles, like what we had and what we share with so many of our community, this this problem would not feel so big. And I just want to encourage people to look for that. And if I can do that with the one example that I have, you know, maybe we'll find more. We will. We will. Let's go look. Let's do it. Should we should we pack up and hit the sixty two? Let's do it. God damn it. I love you, brother. Put it there. Me too. All right. Bye everybody. You just throw that anywhere. <laughs> Drop the mic. I'm out. How about that? Did I not tell you that he was a he was a character? A wild man. Dangerous animal. I really like this episode. I like the way that it turned out. I wish we would have had more time on the road, and I wish we had a, would have more time. Actually, it was the longest episode that I've done, I think, uh, interview-wise. We didn't have as, as many days as I'd like to ride around. and um, But we'll get more, because we're always out there. Go check out Danger Dance Talk Shop. And he's got so many episodes already. He's been doing it for four years. He cranks these things out fast, which is impressive. Give him a listen, give him a subscription. And if you like this episode and you want to see more, I'm trying to self-fund this thing, so I'll plug it again. My PayPal is blue.todd at gmail.com. That's B-L-U-E dot T-O-D-D at gmail.com. Send me a couple bucks. It keeps me moving. And uh, you know it's it's hard to do these things on your own, but I, I'm really happy doing it. It's been really fun to sit down at night and try and put these stories together. And I've got more coming. Five is on its way. I've, I've shot five already, and I've got another interview that I've done. I, I don't know if there'll actually be a video with that one because I'm going to start branching out soon and do a little, little more with the photographers that I know. And I haven't quite figured out a way to make a video out of that. So maybe some of these will have the, the visual and some of them won't. But I guarantee you'll be entertained either way. So you know me. I shoot from the hip. Just stay tuned. You never know what you're going to get. Alright? Episode 5 coming soon. Until then, I miss y'all. So long.